Thanks for checking out this message from Coastal Community Church. We hope it's helpful and encouraging. Merry Christmas, everyone. I am Pastor Chris. Uh, thank you. Thank you so much for tuning in this Christmas and joining us for the special service online. I can picture so many of you, you know, sitting together in your living rooms, gathered around the Christmas tree, maybe still in your uh, Christmas PJs and the, uh, the after effects of a, of a busy and exciting Christmas morning still all around you, maybe torn up wrapping paper, empty boxes, once filled with uh, exciting gifts and toys. And, and my guess is mom and dad desperately needing a nap, uh, probably the that's not going to come anytime soon. Well, uh, before you all head out over to grandma's house or before you, you know, get busy cleaning everything up or you know, getting into the kitchen and, and getting busy preparing everything for maybe people coming over to your house, I want us to kind of come together for just a few unrushed moments and talk about what is probably the, the centerpiece of all Christmas decorations, the centerpiece of, of most people's uh, Christmas decorations uh, in, in their home. Now, what is that, you might ask? Now, I, I, I know that you know, some of you just assume that because I'm a pastor, I would say that the, the centerpiece for most people's Christmas experience is a manger scene, right? You know, baby Jesus and the manger and Mary and Joseph and the wise men and some animals and shepherds. Well, listen, like many of you, Janet and I have a special manger scene that we put out every Christmas uh, on our mantle. And, uh, but the truth is, not everybody has one. Now, maybe the centerpiece for Christmas, you might say, uh, is the lights, you know, we love seeing the lights at Christmas time. We love driving around, you know, all the different neighborhoods where we live or maybe going out to um, James Island County Park and checking out the light display there. Now, as beautiful and wonderful as that is, not everybody is a, is a Clark Griswold, right? And uh, goes to all the trouble putting up lights uh, at Christmas time. Think about it regardless of where you're from, and I would argue, regardless of what you even believe, what is probably the single most universal Christmas decoration for most people? I think it's the Christmas tree. The Christmas tree. The thing that, you know, most of you are probably still gathered around or it's there, you know, in the corner in your living room or in, uh, in another room in your house. And uh, everybody... Everybody's got a Christmas tree story, right? You know, from picking it out. Maybe that's a, a favorite story, a favorite, uh, you know, special event for you and your family going to pick out the Christmas tree. Or maybe you've got a story of when, the, uh, when the, the pet, the dog, the cat, or the children, you know, young children climbed up in the tree or got on the tree or somehow knocked the tree over. Uh, maybe the stories surround all the presents uh, so it, underneath the tree or the fun and the memories surrounding it to decorating it and all the, the ornaments over the years and you know, the stories that go along with them. In fact, today uh, I brought some of the, um, the ornaments uh, from mine and Janet's uh, tree from our home. Now, most of the ornaments 
uh, at least the ornaments on, on our tree, and I'm sure many of the ornaments on your tree usually fit into to certain categories. Like probably many of you have one of these. This is our, our first Christmas together is what it says. And it's our, our very first Christmas ornament. It's a, it's a precious moments. For some of you probably don't even know what that is, uh, but a precious moments ornament. And it's got the little bride and the groom. And, and uh, so Janet now, Janet and I have had this, this ornament putting up on our tree uh, for 35 years now. And I'm sure many of you have uh, special first Christmas ornaments. Uh, and maybe for some of you, I know at our house, on our tree, uh, sometimes when we'll go visit a place, uh, you know, maybe on a vacation or just a special trip, we'll try to get an ornament you know, that represents that experience. And so uh, we've done that over the years. In fact, uh, this is an ornament. Uh, Janet and I went to New York City. Uh, it was our 13th wedding anniversary and the 10th anniversary uh, of our church. So it's a long time ago. And uh, we went to New York and you can see uh, it's got the Statue of Liberty and the New York landscape. And then of course, a lot of our ornaments, uh, you know, relate to your interest and the things that you, you know, that make up, you know, who you are. And of course, at our tree at home, I got a whole bunch of orange on our tree. Uh, this is, uh, you know, one of many Clemson Christmas ornaments that I have. Of course, Santa, as you can see, uh, is a Clemson fan, of course. And then if you got children, I mean, let's just be honest, your, your, or, your tree is probably, you know, filled with ornaments that your children made. So I brought a, a couple of those ornaments. Uh, this, uh, this one here, uh, this is from these two, uh, from our daughter. Our daughter made these two ornaments. And uh, this one, uh, on the back of it, it says 1993. So our daughter here uh, is about two years old. Uh, she's now 31, and we still put this ornament every year. The story behind that picture, uh, this picture was actually taken on Sunday during Coastal Kids, but right after this picture was taken, our daughter tripped and fell uh, on the sidewalk at, at church and cut her lip open, and we had to go get stitches. So we still remember that ornament. Cindy Ty here at our church uh, was her Sunday school teacher, and we always harass her about that. And then this one is, it says on the back, our little angel, 1990. And the face of the angel is our daughter, Lydia. And so again, think about this. I mean, you would never pay money for, you know, glitter gold and cut out cardboard and, you know, stuff like this. But to us, you know, there's a story behind it and it means something. Now, I didn't want to leave out our son, Christopher. Uh, again, Lydia today, she's 31. Our son, Christopher, is 27. So you can just see how uh, creative our son, Christopher, it was. So these are actually... Um, nothing more than popsicle sticks. And he made a bunch of these. And we have these hanging up on our tree. Uh, one has mommy on it and a heart and I love you. And one has daddy on it and uh, a little Clemson tiger paw. And again, popsicle sticks. And then, uh, of course, our son is a guitarist. Uh, he loves music. And so you can see his creativity he literally dr drilled a hole through a guitar pick. And that's an ornament on the Rollins family Christmas tree. So my, my point is, is that everybody has a Christmas tree story or something associated with it. Now, when it comes to Christmas trees, though, everybody knows that the first and most important question that everybody has to answer as an individual or as a family is what? What's the question you gotta answer? Real or fake, right? Real 
or fake. So we're going to take a quick online survey. Uh, just write uh, in the chat, uh, real. If, if you and your family, you're a real tree family or uh, fake or artificial, if that's what you have. Now, I grew up, I want you to know that I grew up in a home where we just always had an artificial tree. We always had an artificial tree. In fact, both of my grandparents also had an artificial tree. In fact, one of them even had one of those uh, aluminum silver Christmas trees and it had like a rotating lighted color wheel. It was really, really sharp, right? Um, Now, Janet, on the other hand, she always grew up with a real tree. I mean, all of her life, she grew up with a real tree. So to her, having a real tree really wasn't that big of a deal. But when we got married, man, I wanted a real tree. In fact, I'll be honest with you. I insisted that we get a real tree. Now, over the years of our marriage, uh, Janet has suggested a time or two that maybe it was time to get a fake tree. And inevitably, she would bring up things like the money that we were spending every year, you know, the rising cost of a tree. And uh, she would talk about, I don't know, like the cleanup associated with it, the watering of it, the work required for it. I had no idea what she was talking about, but she would make her case. But I had put my flag so deep on, in the ground on this particular issue in our family and maybe, maybe so brainwashed our children that to this day, to this day, if you tell one of my grown children that you and your family have a fake tree, their knee-jerk response will be this. Oh, so you don't love the baby Jesus, right? That, that's how they'll respond because that's what they've heard me say over the years. I, I had just, it's like I had made it a statement of faith or something. So again, for the first 31 years of our marriage, we had a real tree until four years ago, four years ago. Now at that point, obviously our kids are grown and gone and in a way, I kind of felt like, you know, it'd been a good run. You know, I had my fill of real trees. And I can honestly admit, everybody knows that Janet really is the one who did all the work for the tree. And, you know, and deep down, honestly, I really didn't care. You know, I mean, it wasn't like it was a real deal breaker for me. It, I know it's not really a matter of faith or has anything to do with loving Jesus. It's just that like over the years, it, um, it kind of, you know, took on an issue uh, of, of its own, it took on a life of its own, almost like my hatred of cats, right? It just became like this ongoing joke in our family. Now, so here's what I did four years ago. I decided that I was gonna surprise Janet leading up to Christmas. I was gonna surprise her and I was gonna get, I went out and I got a top of the line, pre-lit artificial tree from Costco. Just like the beautiful trees behind me. Just like all these beautiful trees here on our campus. And, And I was so excited. And uh, so I called Janet on my way home. I didn't tell her where I'd been, but I just told her that I had a surprise for her. So when I got home, I told her to sit on the sofa and to close her eyes. So I go out to the car and I, I grab this, I get this huge box out of the car and I drag it into the house. I slide it across the floor and I put it like right in front of her. And I'm so excited. And I tell her to 
open her eyes. Now, what happened next? Like, let me say this. It's not that I was expecting, you know, the heavens to open and the angels of God to descend and, and, and start singing the hallelujah chorus. But I'll be honest with you. I was at least expecting a hug or something. And yet I look over at Janet and I asked a question that I have probably asked like a hundred times over the years in our marriage. Janet, are you crying? She was, she was crying, but they weren't tears of joy. They were tears of sadness, sadness. Now, let me explain. She, she wasn't sad for herself. She was sad for me. She thought that, you know, I was making this sacrifice, that I was sacrificing my childhood dream, my Christmas joy for her. Now, let me say this. I am happy to report that four, year, four years later, our family has completely recovered. The Rollins family is fine. Everybody is happy. And uh, the fake, we don't love the baby Jesus Christmas tree uh, has been up every year since and it is beautifully decorated and we love it. But my point today is this. Everybody has a Christmas tree story. Even Jesus even Jesus. And today, I want us to look at his story, the story of the very, very first Christmas tree. Now, I'm calling it his Christmas tree, but really what I'm talking about today is his family tree, his genealogy. You know, what's interesting to me is that uh, genealogies has, have kind of made a comeback. Typically, there was like, you know, one person, and there was like, you know, the grandmother, an older aunt who was really interested in genealogies, and that was it. But man, they have made a comeback. You know, you've probably seen the commercials for uh, 23andMe or Ancestry.com, and maybe you've even thought about, you know, checking it out and seeing if you've got like a, a rich uncle somewhere that maybe has left you some money that you don't know anything about. But what's so funny is that the genealogy of Jesus, like the one that's found in Matthew chapter one, verses one through 17, it is without a doubt the most overlooked and least read part of the entire New Testament. I mean, let's just be honest. How many of you, you know, like when you're reading through the Bible, I know as a church, man, we're, we're coming to the close, right, of reading through the entire Bible. Well, how many of you, like when you came to a genealogy, be honest, you just kind of skipped over it, right? You know, raise your hand in the chat and say, yep, that was me, Pastor Chris. I kind of skipped over those names. And even though this passage here in Matthew is filled with names of people who are long gone and we have a hard time even pronouncing many of the names, I believe that God included it in the Bible for a reason. And I think there's a lot of reasons why he did it, but I believe that one of the more important reasons is that it beautifully points to the grace of God, the grace of God. And so today, as we look at the family tree of Jesus, his Christmas tree, I want you to see three types of people hanging from its branches. Three reminders of 
the types of people that God uses. And my guess is this, if you'll look close enough, you'll see these same three types of people in your own family tree, and you might even see some of them today. So number one, first of all, if you look at Jesus's Christmas tree, we're reminded that God uses the faithful. He uses the faithful. You know, as you read through Jesus's family tree and you know anything about the Bible at all, man, there's some definite uh, names that stand out that we know, right? Names like Abraham and Isaac, Jacob, Ruth, David, Solomon. I mean, these are all like, you know, faithful people who did great things for God. You know, one of my favorite Bible verses uh, is 2 uh, Chronicles 16, 9. And it says, the eyes of the Lord search the whole earth in order to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. In other words, God today is still looking for faithful people. He's looking to strengthen committed people. But if you look closely enough, you also see that none of these individuals were perfect. In fact, faithful people are still flawed people. Faithful people are still flawed people. Think about it. Abraham lied. You know, Jacob was a con man. David was guilty of adultery and murder. Solomon followed in his dad's footsteps and committed sexual sin. Asa that's found in this list bailed on God at the end of his life. Hezekiah struggled with pride. I mean, you could just keep going and going and going. So what's the point? The point is this. Everyone still needs God's grace. Everyone needs God's grace, even faithful people, even committed people. In fact, the Bible actually declares that nobody, nobody's completely faithful, that we all fall short. Romans 3.12 says, all have turned away. All have become useless. No one does good, not a single one. Romans 3.23, for everyone is sin. All fall short of God's glorious standard. Don't you see? We are all still sinners in desperate need of a savior. And the good news of Christmas, the good news of this Christmas tree is that one has been provided. What did the angels say that first Christmas morning to the shepherds? Do not be afraid. I bring good news that will cause great joy for all people. Today in the town of David, a what has been born? A savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. So that leads to the second group of branches that are found in Jesus's family tree. Number two, God uses failures. He uses failures. You know, as you look at Jesus's Christmas tree um, and his family tree, it, it reminds me of something that somebody once said about families that I, that I like to use periodically. Uh, it goes like this. Families are like fudge. Families are like fudge, mostly sweet with a few nuts. How many of you would agree, you know, that, yeah, Pastor Chris, that describes my family, fudge, but with a whole lot of nuts. Well, Matthew makes no effort to gloss over all the nuts found in Jesus's family tree. He doesn't try to hide the embarrassing limbs, the twisted branches. You know, in fact, most genealogists or historians, they tend to skip over the scoundrels, right? And just kind of focus on the saints in the family. 
And if they come across somebody who had a particularly bad reputation, they'll try to clean it up a little bit. Maybe uh, you heard the story about the prominent uh, family who commissioned a professional biographer and uh, genealogist to record their family tree. So they gave this, uh, this gentleman a very detailed instruction and they cautioned him to use discretion when it came to describing a certain Uncle George who evidently in a drunken stupor committed murder and was subsequently sent uh, to die in the electric chair. So this biographer assured them that, that he was up for the task, that he could handle it. So this is what he wrote. Uncle George occupied a chair of applied electronics at an important government institution. He was attached to his position by the strongest of ties and his death came as a real shock. Now, listen, there are a few names in the lineage of Jesus that are just as shocking. Pun absolutely intended. In fact, in Matthew's genealogy, it is filled with Uncle George's, but he makes no attempts at covering it up. I mean, you know, we, we honestly don't have time to go through all the loose nuts that are found in Jesus's tree. So I'm just gonna pick a few of them, okay? Matthew 1, verse three says, Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Now, Judah and Tamar, you can actually go home uh, or you're, you know, go and read the whole depraved story for yourselves found in Genesis chapter 38. But basically, they are father-in-law and daughter-in-law who slept together. But actually, he thought she was a prostitute because she dressed up like one to deceive him because she wanted a child and his two other sons had been struck down by God for their disobedience before she could have children by them. So Judah agrees, agrees to sleep with her for the price of a goat, a goat. Before the goat can be delivered, he gives some personal items for down payment. Tamar becomes pregnant with twins. Judah is self-righteously enraged because she was gonna give him his third son, but now he thinks she's had someone else's children, so she is dragged out to be burned at the stake, and at the last minute, she reveals the personal items that he had given to her to sleep with her when he thought she was a prostitute. Wow, like, you can't make that stuff up. I mean, talk about Jerry Springer. How would you like to be at their Christmas family dinner today, right? Listen carefully. God has a miraculous way of using the broken to bring about breakthrough. God uses the brokenness in our lives, the broken people to bring about breakthroughs. You know, through the very twisted branches of, of Judah and Tamar, God's grace continued to grow and grow. Or what about Rahab? You know, in Matthew 1, 5, she's mentioned eight times in the Bible, but six of those times she's referred to as Rahab the prostitute. Rahab the prostitute. But listen, because of her faith, she's listed in God's hall of faith found in uh, Hebrews chapter 13. Ahaz, down in verse nine, one of Israel's most ungodly and wicked kings, he worshiped pagan gods. Eventually he self-destructed. When he died, he was buried without honor. And yet, listen, it was to King Ahaz that Isaiah initially brings this prophecy of the promised Emmanuel that would be born of a virgin. 
And then Manasseh down in verse 10, a king who reigned for 55 years, longer than any other, but he was Judah's, probably his most wicked ruler. He was into idolatry. He sacrificed his own children to the pagan god Molech. He worshiped the sun and the stars. He killed anybody who disagreed with him. Again, you think your family's crazy. The savior of the world came from people, came from a family tree that most of us would have nothing to do with. So why? Why have they been included in the the genealogy of Jesus? Listen, these individuals who we would call failures are in the family tree, not for what they have in common with Jesus, but for what they have in common with with you and with me. That's why Jesus came for people like us. And he could take our failures and he could turn them into something beautiful if we'll let him. You see, God uses our brokenness to bring about breakthrough. Now, really quickly, let me close with this final observation that we see from Jesus's family tree, his Christmas tree. Number three, God also uses the forgotten. He uses the forgotten. God uses faithful people with flaws. He uses people who feel like they're failures. And he also uses people who fear that maybe they've been forgotten. You know, if you read through this passage in Matthew, there are some names here that we know absolutely nothing about. I mean, what about names like Hezron and Ram. I mean, we honestly don't know if these people were saints or scoundrels. What about Azor, Achim, or Zadok? We, we know nothing about them. Now, they might not have made any headlines, but you know what? Their names are known in heaven. And God used them to bring the Messiah, the Savior, into the world. What about you? Do you feel forgotten today? Do you ever wonder sometimes if God notices you, if he cares about you, if he's forgotten you? Listen, make no mistake, God not only notices you, but you are always on his mind. You are always in his heart. I want you to listen to these verses from Psalm 139, verses one through five. Oh Lord, you have examined my heart and you know everything about me. You know when I sit down or stand up. You know my thoughts, even when I'm far away. You see me when I travel and when I rest at home. You know everything I do. You know what I'm going to say even before I say it, Lord. You go before me. You follow me. You place your hand of blessing on my head. And not only are you always in God's mind and in God's heart, he also has a plan and a purpose for your life. Jeremiah 29, 11 reminds us, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. So before you take down your Christmas tree or begin to take off those ornaments and put everything back in a box, I don't want you to forget that the very first Christmas tree, Jesus's family tree, is a great, beautiful reminder of God's grace. That God takes our feeble faith with all of our flaws and all of our failures and he redeems it all for his glory. 
And in the process, he never forgets you. He never forgets you. In fact, are you ready for this? Here's the great news. Our God is even ready to include you in his family tree. How does that happen, you ask? John 1.12 says this, yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. Listen, don't you see? Don't you get it? Jesus died on a tree in order to have, in order for you to have a place on his eternal tree. If, if you'll simply come to him, if you'll simply admit your need for a savior, if you will receive him into your life by faith. That, my friends, is the greatest gift you could ever receive this Christmas. So I wanna encourage you today to open up your heart and receive this gift by faith. Bow your heads and pray with me. Dear Heavenly Father, God, today I thank you for all the miracles associated with Christmas. Father, I thank you for the wonderful outreach and service that uh, was a part of our church experience this year and always here at Christmas. Father, I thank you for all the volunteers who came and served and worked over our Christmas Eve services. I thank you for all the people who came. I thank you for all the people who made decisions uh, for faith, made decisions for Christ over our Christmas Eve services. And listen, if you are here today and you you are ready to come home to God. Maybe today you, you feel like a failure. Maybe today you feel like you've been forgotten. Listen, God loves you and he has a plan for your life. And if you will simply open up your, your heart and your life to Jesus through faith, he's ready to include you on his family tree. Just simply pray something like this. Dear Heavenly Father, I admit it. I am messed up. I have blown it. I have failed. God, I am a sinner in need of a Savior. And today, on Christmas morning, I believe that one has been provided, and his name is Jesus, your Son. I believe that he was born into this world, that he lived a perfect life. I believe that he went to a cross for me and my sin. I believe that he was crucified, that he was laid in a tomb. And God, as much as I understand and as much as I know how, I believe that he rose from the dead and he is alive. And today, I ask you to forgive me of my sin. And I ask Jesus to come into my life and to be my Savior and my Lord. And God, for the rest of my life, I simply want to follow Jesus and become more and more like him every day. It's in the name of Jesus we pray, amen. Thanks for listening. From Pastor Chris and the family at Coastal Community Church, have a blessed day.